So we've been going through the lectionary, and um, the great thing about going through the lectionary is that it forces you, so the lectionary, it, you know, it goes through the seasons of the, the church calendar, goes to Advent, uh, Lent to Easter, Pentecost, and then now we're in ordinary time. And uh, it goes through different themes, and it's, you know, gives a gospel reading every week, it gives a reading from one of the epistles, so something that, you know, Paul wrote, and it gives an Old Testament and a psalm. But one, one of the great things about that is, is that it sort of forces you to teach and to look at passages that you would not look at otherwise. Is anybody else like me and they kind of read the parts of the Bible that they like? You know, you, you tend to kind of ignore a lot of the other pieces. I think if we're all honest, you know what I'm talking about. And so today's passage is from Luke, and it's a, it's a, a line from Jesus that doesn't get a lot of airtime. Uh, and you'll see in a minute why. And uh, I was just thinking on, on Monday, like, what in the world are we going to do with this? How, how, does this? how is this relevant at all? And I hope by the end of this, you can answer my problem. So um, I'm relying on you to figure this out for me. So <laughs> this is Luke uh, chapter 12, uh, starting in verse 49. Uh, we have it up, uh, have it up on the screen uh, if you want to read along. And this is Jesus. Jesus says, This is serious business that we're involved in. My mission is to send a purging fire on the earth. In fact, I can hardly wait to see the smoke rising. I have a kind of baptism to go through, and I can't relax until my mission is accomplished. Do you think I've, I've come with a nice little message of peace? No way. Believe me, my message will divide. It will divide a household of five into three against two, or two against three, it will divide father against son, son against father, mother against daughter, and daughter against mother, mother-in-law against daughter-in-law, daughter-in-law against mother-in-law. Right. Speaking to the crowd, he said, you, can see, you, you see a cloud arise from the sea in the west, and you say, here comes a shower, and you're right. Or you feel the hot wind blowing in from the desert, and you, from the south, and you say, it's going to be really hot, and you're right. Listen, hypocrites. You can predict the weather by paying attention to the sky and the earth, but why can't you interpret the urgency of this present moment? Ouch. All right. Woo. So if this is your first time here, uh, a, a lot of weeks we like to take a, uh, take a few moments and discuss at what we've read, what we've just listened to. And so today's question that I want you guys to talk about is, are there good kinds of divisions? Are there good kinds of divisions? So take a couple of moments, turn to a neighbor, and talk it out. Are there good kinds of divisions? Yeah. So what do you think? Are there good kinds of divisions? Are there good kinds of divisions? No. No, there aren't, good, there aren't any good kinds of divisions. So what is Jesus talking about? Whenever he says, I come to divide. All right, so what do we have? Any, any brilliant... Thoughts on division? Rose, what do you got? Long division. All right. There you go. Get mathematical with it. Yeah. All right. Yeah, you can say. Okay, yeah. So you're pointing out another biblical, yeah. Right. So Pope Francis, uh, I think it was last year, he was speaking to a group of Argentine youth, 
and he said, he told them to, quote, make a mess. And he said, make a mess, and then also help tidy it up. A mess which gives a free heart, a, met- a mess which, which gives solidarity, a mess which gives hope. We do not want young people who tire quickly, who live lives worn out, with faces of boredom. We want youth with hope and strength. Go make a mess. So are there good kinds of divisions? Uh, you know, I had, I had a similar thought, Sarah, to you this week of, uh, of dividing and conquering, and then also dividing in order to perhaps accomplish something further on, on down the line. There's an interesting uh, tradition, and uh, I believe it was started by uh, churches and in, in parishes in England, and it's called Beating the Bounds. Has anyone ever heard of this? Beating the Bounds. And so I wish I had a, I wish I had a long stick. But maybe I can illustrate with this. This will work. So, beating beating the bounds in parishes in England would consist of uh, once a year, uh, back when parishes sort of defined the section of town. So a parish was also sort of synonymous with a uh, section of land. And so every year. Uh, what they would do before there were, you know, good maps and territories and people had their property. The, the local parish and the people that belonged to it would go around the town and around the parish, and they would literally beat down the fences that certain landlords had put up in order to restore the common ground. They would, they would knock down these barriers on behalf of the greater good. We actually have a, a video, so they still do beating the bounds. So it's a, I believe it's an over 600-year-old tradition and uh, what they end up doing now, I mean, obviously we have maps, sort of civilized, and there's really not a purpose for the classic beating of the bounds, but every year, churches in England will go around and they'll still beat the bounds around, uh, around town. So let's watch this. The parish is a taxation unit, or was a taxation unit, and the parish would tax you um, if you were a landowner and would pay out to uh, people who were without jobs or who were sick or to mend the roads. Um, so it's quite an important uh, uh, bit, of, bit of legislature. So it was, um, so this is why we do it. Of course, nowadays the parish is not really terribly important, but it's fun. And uh, as it's been going for 600 years, we might as well carry on. Heavenly Father, we thank you for Mr. Berkeley's library and for all librarians and all who preserve books from the past. We thank you for the new progress in uh, digitizing uh, all the information from the past. And we pray for all who work in libraries as we mark this, our boundary stone, in the name of God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. 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 So we thank you, Lord, for all authors, those who've got published works and those who wish that their works were published, and we thank you for all the learning that we receive from those who are willing to write for All right, all right, that's good enough. All right, so uh, if you didn't hear what he said there, he said, thanks for all the authors who have published works and all the authors who wish their works were published. So... So they go over, you get the idea, they go around town and there's nothing to really like beat down again, but they say, you know, thanks for the pharmacy, you know, made this uh, work heal and they beat the bounds of their town, right? Well, uh, I think this actually, cor- this idea really correlates well uh, to punk music because essentially what this is, 
is restoring back to the people uh, what is rightfully theirs. And punk music functions in much of the same way. That uh, punk music isn't actually so much an extension of music, but it's a, a fierce restoration of music uh, back to the people. And um, there's, a, there's actually a, a girl band from Russia, and I won't say their name, the, 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 the guy on uh, CNN will say their name. Uh, they're a part of a wider movement of punk bands that have emerged in oppressive countries. And they're, they're from Russia, and a few years ago they, um, they were arrested based upon uh, this uh, act of protest that they did. So their music is not only punk and protest in nature, but they actually go out and do protest. And so, um, yeah, let's, let's watch this video and we'll, we'll talk about it. The women of Pussy Riot spent hours waiting in their glass box for the judge to start reading her verdict. Ekaterina Samitsevich, Maria Alyokhina, Nadezhda Telekonikova chatted together and wondered when they would next see each other and where that would be. Outside, a crowd of supporters gathered. Police showed some tolerance, but they were easily provoked and many were arrested. There were also members of the Russian Orthodox Church. This is why Russia's religious were offended. A 30-second performance in Moscow's main cathedral, praying for President Vladimir Putin to go. The judgment took three hours to read, and throughout, there was little doubt it would find them guilty. The judge frequently referred to their behavior as insulting and disrespectful to the Orthodox Church and all of Russia's faithful. She criticized their short skirts and high kicks and said they were motivated by hatred for religion. She ruled they remained a danger to society and sentenced them to two years. The women smiled but looked a little stunned as people in the court shouted, shame. Outside, much of the crowd also reacted angrily. Does anybody watch House of Cards in here? Yeah, so they were actually in House of Cards, essentially like playing like their, what their version was. They're like all eating dinner. Uh, if you don't watch House of Cards, then as soon as you leave here, go home, subscribe to Netflix, and binge watch House of Cards. It's that good. Uh, but this band, this group of girls, is beating the bounds. And what's significant about the way uh, they're beating the bounds in their protests, especially the one that they got arrested for and served jail time for, was the fact that uh, they went into the cathedral and then they went up onto the altar. And in the Greek Orthodox Church, this is the area, kind of like in Judaism, the Holy of Holies. You have to be an ordained Greek Orthodox priest to stand in this. And the actual, the whole video is on YouTube of them doing this protest. And uh, you have all of these uh, you know, priests coming around trying to get them off the stage because this is a holy space. But what are they doing? In, a, in, a, in their punk protest, they are beating the bounds and restoring that divide back to the people. Uh, let's get back into um, how this refers, or how this relates to the passage that we read today. Uh, Jesus says, uh, he has come to, to, to set the world on fire. Uh, he's come to, to beat the bounds in a way. All right, so let's look back. If you have your Bibles or phones, we'll throw it back up here. Uh, let's just look at a couple of these, these lines a little bit more closely. So in, in verse 49, Jesus says, This is serious business that we're involved in. My mission is to send a purging fire on the earth. In fact, I can hardly wait to see the smoke rising. I have a kind of baptism to go through, and I can't relax until my mission is accomplished. 
Do, I, do you think I've come with a, a nice little message of peace? No way, believe me, my message will divide. So Jesus is doing a few things here, especially contextually. Uh, he's aligning himself with, with John the Baptist, and if you're familiar with any of the Gospels, uh, John the Baptist has this line you know, where he says, uh, Jesus will come to uh, baptize with the Spirit and fire. So Jesus is doing a little bit of a recall back to John the Baptist language here. Uh, and then he also kind of throws the, you know, already in Luke, he has actually been called, uh, you know, sort of the Prince of Peace. Uh, and so he, he kind of throws that back out and say, uh, no, uh, my mission is, is not accomplished yet. I'm, I'm not the Prince of Peace. Uh, and then he says, I have a kind of baptism to go through. Uh, um, he's referring to what? He's referring to his, his death, right? Yeah, so uh, he's, he's pl- playing on the words of, of baptism there. Um, that, you know, I'm act- my mission involves some sort of final, final death here that's not... But then he says, no way, believe me, my message will divide, which is such a, it's such a harsh and weird thing to hear come out of Jesus' mouth. Uh, but I think there's, I don't think it's as simple or as cut and dry. I mean, he's not going out and saying, uh, you know, I'm, I've just come to be a jerk and to just, like, you know, make people mad and divide people. It's not, not what he's saying. It's, it goes deeper than that. He says, it will divide a household of five into three, Three, three against two, two against three. It will divide father against son, son against father, mother against daughter, daughter against mother, mother-in-law against daughter-in-law, daughter-in-law against mother-in-law. Say that ten times fast. So this is actually, it sounds, it sounds weird, and you're like, why would he go through all this mother, daughter, father, son thing? And he's, he's challenging the Jewish family structure here. And, and we, went through, we went through the book of Acts, you know, my first couple of months here, and we know that Luke and Acts have the same what? They're the same author. Yeah, exactly. And so what we know from that series on Acts is that uh, Luke, or whoever is the author of Luke-Acts, is constantly hammering away at the way society is structured, the, the boundaries that exist between uh, socioeconomic, religious, cultural, ethnic. He's knocking those boundaries down. And so Jesus is challenging the family structure here. So we know from, from the Gospel of uh, Luke and Acts, uh, let's just go through a few. Paul, we went through Paul. He was, he was on a trip. He was on a trip to imprison Christians, right? Then we had Dorcas. Remember Dorcas with the weird name? She, she had a house church. She died, and then she was brought back to life. So someone had a house church, and... Uh, Remember, they had a dream, they came, and they brought her back to life. Uh, then Peter had a vision. Remember Peter, the vision and the uh, tablecloth comes down, which was a statement to what? There's, there's no food laws anymore, right? There are no food laws that can distinguish uh, Jewish people from Gentile people. And this tablecloth represented the fact that everyone was now welcome at the table. Another beating of the bounds. And then, if that wasn't enough, it wasn't clear that the, all these barriers would be divided, were going to be gone. Lydia and her group of friends, all women, were found praying by the river, and then they start their own house church. Unheard of in the first century. So Jesus' radical love in that sort of classic sense serves in this purpose as like an all-consuming fire that is so radical, it is so purging, if we want to use the fire language, uh, that it wills the good of the other, that it wills the good of the enemy, beyond socioeconomic status, beyond race, beyond religious practice, beyond 
uh, any ethnicity. Uh, we found that sort of this division is actually in Jesus' first day on the job, which is one of the first uh, passages that I read here, which is from Luke 4. And he goes up in the synagogue, if you remember, and he, open, he rolls open the scroll of Isaiah, and then he reads that his, his kingdom and his uh, life is going to be dedicated to the poor and the oppressed and those in prison, the widow, the orphan, and everybody in the synagogue is like, all right, yeah, we're nodding our heads, we like this. And then Jesus says, after they you know, start talking amongst themselves about how much they like him, he says, well, this message is actually not for the people sitting in this room, it's actually for all the people standing outside the doors. And what? What do they do? Yeah, they run him outside, and then they try to kill him, right? So this is, uh, I think, sort of the classic example of what we, think, what we can think about when Jesus is saying, I am coming to divide. He's not saying that I'm coming to be a jerk. He's saying that my message is so radically inclusive that it is going to knock down these little systems and structures of safety that you've constructed. You see this sometimes uh, in speaking of the Jewish family structure with family values in the United States. We, we have that term that's thrown around. Um, there's a reverend uh, named Ellen Clark King, and she, she says about family values in the United States, family values become shorthand for valuing those people who most closely resemble us, our own kin first, our own community, our own race, our own nationality, our own class, our own sexual orientation. Family values have to do more with deciding who is acceptable and who isn't with challenging all people to live lives of inclusive love. And of course, family values give sexual matters a prominence that any impartial reading of the Gospels will tell you that they do not deserve. And so she kind of pokes at this idea of this relationship between uh, the Jewish family structure and then sort of what we hear a lot as family values in the United States. That it becomes this kind of weird shorthand of dividing walls. If we, if we kind of say who's in the family, then we're also saying who's out of our family. And uh, God's love is not limited to those who we deem worthy to receive it. Um, God breaks into our realities and sets ablaze in order for a new reality of hope and love to blossom. And Jesus' message is so radical and divisive so long as we continue to c construct these false senses of self and our safe world in which we believe, we really do, that we can kind of control God. We can kind of build these walls. We can kind of construct a church holy of holies and keep certain people out. So, the, the, so this crowd that Jesus is talking to, they're essentially not recognizing Jesus as the prophet. So Jesus often aligns himself like he did in Luke 4 with Isaiah. He sometimes aligns himself with Jeremiah. So he's in this line of prophetic speakers in the Jewish religion, right? He quotes the prophets all the time. And so this group of people is not recognizing in this moment Jesus' prophetic word. And so it, it is a dramatic word, this little thing, 49 through 56, uh, but he's speaking in prophetic language, right? It means something more than what is just there on the surface. But these guys are not recognizing it. Verse 54, they say, Jesus says, You see a cloud arise from the sea in the west, and you say, Here comes a shower in your right. Or you feel a hot wind blowing in the desert in the south, and you say, It's going to be really hot in your right. Listen, hypocrites. You can predict the weather by paying attention to the sky and the earth, so why can't you interpret the urgency of this present time? And the word that stands out to me in this passage 
besides all the weather talk, is the word hypocrite. Who does Jesus usually refer to as hypocrites? Pharisees, the religious of religious, which should give us, as people in church on Sunday morning, a little bit of pause, right? Because in our day and age, we are kind of the religious of the religious. And I think this is actually really relevant to, to last week's lectionary passage uh, that, we, that we didn't read, but I, I think we should read today. Because it talks about the religious of religious in this sort of same way. And here's what God says in, in Isaiah chapter 1, verse 10. It says, Listen to the word of the Eternal One, you rulers of Sodom, and attend to God in, God's instructions, O citizens of Gomorrah. God says, What do I care with all of your slaughter gifts? You, I've had enough of all of your burnt offerings. I'm not interested in any more ram meat or fat from your well-fed cattle. The blood of bulls, lambs, or goats doesn't please me. And when you come into my presence, who told you to trample down the courtyard of my temple, bringing in all of this stuff? Just stop giving me worthless offerings. Your incense reeks and it offends me. Your feasts and fasts, your new moons and Sabbaths, I can't stand any more of your wicked gatherings. Maybe he says something about our summer nights, I don't know. Likewise, I deplore your holidays. Look at all those calendar days that you mark especially for me. Easter, Christmas. They weigh me down. I'm sick and tired of them. When you summon me with your hands in the air, I will ignore you. And when you pray uh, your whole litany, I won't be listening. Because your hands are full of blood and violence. Wash yourselves, clean up your lives, remove every speck of evil in what you do before me. Put, all of, put an end to all of your evil. Learn to do good. Commit yourselves to seeking justice. Make right for the world's most vulnerable, the oppressed, the orphan, the widow. And this is a classic story. Both of these are, are classic stories of oppressive religious structures. Uh, we see this all the time in our culture, especially in the United States, uh, where it is much easier to play church than it is to solve homelessness. Much easier. It's much easier to have a Bible study than to really get our hands dirty and figure out how we can give ev house every person in Mission Hills. It's much easier to play church. See this all the time. See this in big churches, small churches. Uh, it's way easier to come and make a sacrifice than it is to unplug and be with yourself and be with God. It's way easier to scroll through your Facebook feed than to be alone with your thoughts, your worries. It's easy for religious people to uh, build false systems of piety in order to avoid a radical encounter with the other, with the enemy. Uh, we ignore the vulnerable because it's easier. It just is. Um, you know, so as people gathered here on Sunday, graduates, high school, those moving on, there are a million different ways that we can construct our altars, construct our safe worlds that we kind of set the boundaries of our family, safe worlds of our friends, safe worlds of our version of Christianity, safe worlds of our version of whatever political alignment you have. And Jesus comes to divide these structures. Jesus comes as the punk rocker to beat these bounds down. 
God has no boundaries. God, has, God makes no distinctions. So this morning, may we pray for punk music. We need it. We do. May we hope for riots, like Pope Francis says. Make a mess. Just make a mess. Make a mess and tidy it up for something better. May we follow Jesus in this tradition of beating the bounds. In order to, to form communities that extend God's love and justice in the world. So as as the kids are coming in, this is our this is our challenge for graduates. That you would beat the bounds, that you would go from this place, play punk music, live dangerously, love fiercely. Don't build walls around yourself. Tear them down. Let's pray. Lord, we, we thank you for challenging messages. Uh, we thank you for uh, your word that always surprises us. Uh, when we think that we sort of have you figured out, when we think we sort of know in our minds, so we've sort of mapped and chartered God. We love that your word is alive and it comes and it beats down the bounds that we've sort of constructed in our minds for what Christianity is, for the false uh, structures that we sort of define ourselves by. Uh, we tend to tell ourselves a lot of really unhealthy things about ourselves. And your message comes and beats down those bounds as well. Lord, we thank you that your message is so radical, that your love is so inclusive that it can be divisive. Uh, but that's a division that we need. We need to be divided in order to realize that the divisions that we've set up uh, are unhealthy. That your message is so inclusive that we can be a part of it and we can extend hope. But that you would continue to work in our lives that we can extend the boundaries of our, of our small community to those that are most vulnerable, that we wouldn't play church here. Um, we pray really, really hard that we wouldn't play, play church here. But that we would actually take the charge to get our hands dirty, to go kind of the difficult path to help the most vulnerable, to solve homelessness. Dinner's ready. To to do all the things that um, that this community at Mission Hills really, truly needs. So may, may we take up that challenge, and may we make a mess. In Jesus' name, amen.